Keep your Bibles open to Ruth chapter 2. I don't know if you've thought about this, but how fitting is it that we are in this text of harvest during this time of year and uh, Thanksgiving week. And there's many people who left to see family and some family I'm assuming is going to come in town and uh, enjoy a bountiful harvest. Well, as we start this morning, I want to draw your attention to look up at the screen. You look, look up here. It says, please silence your phone. So if you have one of those, you can do that. If your alarm goes off at noon, when you think I should be done, you can turn that off too. But the real reason, actually, I, I, I've done that is to point out something. When someone says, look at this, they're, they're drawing your attention to something, right? They think that's worthy of your attention, that you should, you should focus your attention on that. Maybe you're driving down the road and you have your kids or your grandkids in the back of the seat, you know, and you see something. You ever done this? And you say, look out there. And you drive by it and you're, you know, 30 seconds down the road and one of the kids goes, what, where, where? It's too late, you know, and there's always that one kid in the car that, Misses it by about 30 seconds. But when you say, look, you're saying, there's something here I want you to draw your attention to. In Ruth chapter 2, what we see very interesting in verse 4 is God says, behold, or look, draw your attention to something. There was something here that God thought it was worthy for us to pay attention to, to look at, what we're going to see in our text here is that God wants to draw our attention to his providential blessings. The word providence literally means foresight. That means to, to see the future, to know the future. But when we speak about providence, theologically, we're not just talking about God knowing the future. We're actually speaking of God governing all things to fulfill his will. And so we're talking about God's providence, but this morning particularly, we're talking about the blessing of God's providence. God's providential blessing. And if you remember the point of this book, the book of Ruth, the point of this, this narrative here is to demonstrate how God governed the natural affairs of this world particularly for these people, according to his covenant love to fulfill his promise to bring forth a Messiah who would redeem his people. In other words, this is a story about God's providence. And, and through these different individuals and through the generations, God's Messiah will be born, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And so this, this story here today is to give us confidence that God is at work in our life and God's work and his covenant people is a work of blessing. He wants to and he does bless his people. We have many people over the past number of months who have been visiting our church. Some have decided to stay and some have decided to join. And one of the things we love to do is invite those type of people to our house. And we've had some of you, even the past uh, two weeks here, had some people to our house that are new to the church. And I love hearing new people's stories. It's neat to hear, how, how did God bring you to Lighthouse? You know, how did God lead you to Christ? How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? 
And, and, I, and I love to recount even the story of, of Lighthouse, how God brought Pastor Roger and Kathy to this church. And there's honestly a lot I don't even know, but how God providentially brought them here and all these 40 plus years of God using them and how he brought different individuals over the years. Some left, some are still here. Some moved to other states, I should say. Some stayed here. And uh, I think God's brought new people in here and how there's people in the church that just at the right time, we have this person gifted to come into the church and bless our church. I mean, it's amazing to think about God's providence. But, but that perspective is looking at life through God's providential blessing. It's seeing God's invisible hand at work around us. And at the end of chapter one of Ruth chapter one, in the beginning of chapter two, the author here describes Ruth and Naomi. You know, you have these two widows and, and it just seems like some, frankly, some boring details and some details about their family. But actually he wants us to see that there's something more to this, that there's something behind all this, that God is at work in the details. In fact, look at the end of chapter one. Look at verse 22. Ruth chapter one, verse 22 Scripture says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. You're going to see this over and over. They really want you to get the idea that this is where Ruth came from, Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So, so imagine Naomi and Ruth and they're traveling from Moab and they come to Bethlehem. Evidently, there was some type of house they lived in. Maybe it was Naomi's old land that Elimelech owned and still owned, and maybe there's a shack that's still there. But they're here settled in some type of house. Imagine that first night as Naomi and, and Ruth are huddled together. They're both widows. Naomi has come back and felt the shame of leaving God's blessing, of losing everything, of having, in her mind, no future. Ruth is burdened by the label Moabite. You know, here's a foreigner that's now living in Israel. And then they just so happened to come at the time of barley harvest. And that's what you see at the end of verse 22. They came to Bethlehem at the time of barley harvest. Well, maybe, maybe there's something more here. Maybe it's not happenstance. Maybe something else is happening. Look at verse number one of chapter two. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Well, that's an interesting detail. I mean, why is the author throwing that in here? And he's trying to tell us something. First of all, he's telling us what Naomi's situation was. Obviously, her husband, Elimelech, had died. But there was a, an important relative that lived around there. His name was Boaz. We're going to learn more about him later here. But we, we, we need to know here that there's this man that she's related to that lives in the same town. This is, not, uh, this is not particularly relevant right now to Naomi and Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. But they want us to know this. The author, I should say, wants us to know this. And look at verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So Ruth is asking for permission. You know, Naomi, mother-in-law, may, may I go out and may I help bring some food in for our, our family here? And her hope was that she could find a field 
where the laborers would accept her and she would not be rejected. That's what she meant by, there by finding favor. I mean, she was a foreigner. And, and she could go to a field. She could be scorned. She could be kicked out of the field. Or worse, she could be abused by the workers. And so she, she's hoping to find a field that will have people who will accept her. And then verse 2 goes on to say, so she, Naomi, said to her, go, my daughter. And then notice verse 3. So, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So, so think about Ruth. She gets up early in the morning. She gets her bags together, and she leaves her place of residence in Bethlehem, and she walked really to a random field. And the author wants us to know that that there's no special revelation. There's no, no fleece that she put out. There's no, no, she's not reading the stars, right? She's not, she's not casting lots. She's just living life like we do, right? I mean, just regular life. Now, she has faith in her heart to Yahweh, but she's just going out and, and choosing a field to go to. In fact, if you see that phrase in verse three, verse three, it says, she happened to come. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means this. Her chance chanced upon. It's kind of like we would say, as luck would have it. And of course, we don't believe in luck. So what we're saying basically is we're saying it's, it's something that was random. It's something that wasn't planned. It was something that just, that just came up. And of course, this is the human perspective. But what the author is doing here is he's deliberately forcing our minds to think about this as an, just an arbitrary decision that Ruth made. Oh, here's a field. Oh, I'll go to that field and I'll take that um, opportunity. But then in verse four, it's like he kind of smacks up, us upside the head and says, okay, here's perspective. Actually, look, there's something more than just happening to come upon a field. God is about to bless Ruth and Naomi, even if they don't see it at that moment. Look at verse four. And behold, look, hey, what, what's going on here? And, and remember, he's talking here to us, the readers. So he's saying, look, people, Believers in Yahweh, believers in God, look, here's Boaz, and he's coming from Bethlehem. The author is calling our attention to God's providential blessing that's going to come through this man of God right here. So the divine author of Ruth wants us to perceive God's providential blessings in Ruth's life, but also in our life. How many of us and how many people in this world live their, their daily lives not recognizing God's providential blessings in their life? Right? Acts chapter 17, verse 25, the Bible says that God himself is the one who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So the fact that you're breathing, the fact that you're here is a blessing from God. Right? Some people say, you know, why are there bad things in our world? And I heard one preacher say, it's actually the wrong question. The right question is, why would God bless us with life? Why is God kind to us? God gives us blessings, providential blessings. Every good gift, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So when we look at the Father of lights, or I should say, when we look at the lights, Remember, God is the one who created those stars. 
He's the one who's given us those good gifts. And every gift we have in this world comes from a good God. Now, did anyone stay up and see the, the, the lunar eclipse? Is that what it was, a lunar eclipse? Did anyone see that? How many were brave enough to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and do that? Okay. I should say brave or I was going to use the S word, stupid. But I, don't, I shouldn't use that in a sermon. So. But, you know, when you look at the, the sun or you look at the stars and you think about the moon, those should remind us that God has given us good gifts. And everything we have in our life, everything we see that's a good thing comes from a good God. But even more importantly, God the Father gives to his covenant children the blessings of Christ, which are way superior, are way more important and far surpassing any earthly blessing. God the Father blesses his covenant family with the spiritual blessings of forgiveness, of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus, he came as, an, as a man and temporarily he forsook the blessings of heaven to live on this earth, to live a perfect life of obedience to his Father, to, to die on the, the cross and be cursed for us. The one who deserved blessing became a curse for us, for our sins. And then he rose again, victorious over the grave. And so Jesus was cursed for us so we could be blessed by God with eternal spiritual blessings. And I always want to make sure in sermons like this, I call to those people who are without Christ and invite you to come to him. If you're in here and you're not in Christ's covenant family, if you're not living a life of repentance and faith, you are invited into God's family through repentance and faith. That means you, you turn from your own ideas, you stop trusting yourself, you confess your sin, and you trust that Jesus Christ alone is your Lord and Savior. And when those in his covenant family have blessing poured out upon them, spiritual blessings. So the point is this, the point is that, that God is a God who blesses and he's providentially blessing us every day. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at three features of God's providential blessings. Three features of God's providential blessings from Ruth chapter number two. Would you join me in prayer as I ask God to bless our time here this morning? Let's pray. Father, as we enter into considering what your word says to us, Lord, I pray your spirit will open our spiritual eyes. Lord, I pray that we won't just see natural things in this world, but we'll see the, the supernatural power of God working providentially through everyday means. God, open, open our eyes to your spiritual blessings. And I pray this morning you will work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, let's look at how God blesses us through your diligent labor. God providentially blesses you through your diligent labor. Notice Ruth was the lowest caste of that society. She was a woman. She was widowed. She was a Moabite. I mean, in that culture, those were three strikes against her. Yet she believed that God had blessed her by receiving her into his covenant family. And therefore, Ruth believed that God's providential blessing was upon her. And so therefore, because she believed that, what did Ruth do? God 
had blessed her by putting her in God's covenantal covenantal family, covenantal family. So what did she do? Well, we see here that she went out and she diligently worked. This is a theological uh, doctrine of labor. And that is this, that God is at work. God works. And one of the ways he blesses us is by giving us the ability and the opportunity to work. Do you realize that work is a blessing? Look down in verse number three. The scripture says, so she, that's Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. I mean, you see that right there. There's a lot of work involved in that right there. This is, this is back-breaking work. And the scripture goes on to say, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he, that's Boaz, said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So Boaz was the owner of these fields. And evidently he came to view his field and see how his laborers, laborers were doing. And think about this. After or at least 10 years had gone by since there was some type of famine. And so 10 years before this, and maybe before, even before that, there was dirt where these fields were. There was no harvest there. But now 10 plus years later, he comes and he sees workers in the field and it's full of barley. And so as he greets his workers, how does he greet them? He says, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you as well. And of course, this, this word Lord, as we've said a number of times, is the name for God, Yahweh. It's God's covenant name. So here Boaz is saying, may God, our covenant God, be with you. And they're saying, may, may Yahweh bless you as well. These are simple salutations. These are simple salutations that Jewish people would, would give back and forth to each other. And we do this kind of thing. We say hello. We say goodbye. When we exit here, we'll, we'll say goodbye. Now, do you realize that when you're saying goodbye, do you realize you're actually saying God be with you? Did you realize that? The origin of goodbye is God be with ye. And so when you say goodbye to someone, you're saying God be with you. So next time someone says goodbye to you, say they say goodbye, you can say God be with you as well, right? You can do that. But the idea of that, God be with you or God bless you, that those are salutations that recognize that God is at work in our lives and blessings come from him. So Boaz and his workers, they saw their work, and don't miss this, they saw their work, they saw that labor as a blessing. I mean, they didn't come upon that field and go, oh, oh, the barley harvest. They went, whoa, look at God's blessed us. God bless you. God bless you as well. We get to work out here and serve the Lord and be able to have provision for our our families, for our lives. I think it's good for us to stop and think about this because many in our society do not view work in that way. Many view work as a curse. Like, oh, I got to go to work today, you know? It's like, it's like, the, it's like a, I think it was a song in the 80s that said something like, um, you work for the weekend. I don't think I would go look that up, by the way. I don't think that was a good song. But the, the attitude of many people is this. It's like, you know, the bad part of the week is when you work, and the good part of the week is when you party on the weekend. That is an unbiblical view of life. It's actually an unbiblical view of work. 
God actually blesses us with the ability and the opportunity to work. Exodus 20, 9 through 11, we learn that the creation week was designed as an example for us. Remember, God worked for six days, and then on the seventh day, he stopped. He ceased from working. And of course, we know that God doesn't need to work, right? I mean, even so, his work was speaking <laughs> into existence. That was all he did, right? But why, why did it take six days, and why, why seventh day? Well, he did it as an example to us. That is, that he's giving us the gift of working. We should work, and then we should have a time to reflect and rest, reflect upon what the Lord is doing in our life. In an age when we are told that the, the pinnacle of enjoyment is doing nothing but being entertained, we need to get back to the biblical truth that we are here on earth to work, most importantly, to work for the Lord. The Lord has blessed us with the ability to work. When we're talking about work, I, sometimes I think we think, you know, the guys that are on the freeway out there working or maybe someone at, you know, Starbucks or something like that. And we definitely are talking about that. We're also going beyond that. We're talking about the work to run a home, the work to raise children, the work to minister to each other within the church, the work to disciple someone, the work to give the gospel, the work to build the kingdom. So we're, we're not just talking about, you know, you clock in, clock out. We're talking about working as a way of life. So when Boaz and his laborers saw each other, I mean, here are these laborers, they're sweating, like they're probably going like this, oh, my back hurts, but they're praising Jesus. They're praising Yahweh. And also notice Ruth labored diligently trusting God's blessing. Look at verse five. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reaper, so this is the foreman, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, well, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Notice how many times they keep saying Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So first observe how Boaz Forum, foreman, Boaz foreman uh, describes Ruth. Look at number, uh, verse number seven. He says that she's a Moabite. And again, he, he says it twice. In case you didn't get it, she came from Moab. And so th this, is, this is her former identity, right? This is, this is how the Jewish people would view her in, an, in general. They say, oh, Moab, she's from Moab. But there was something else about Ruth that stood out. What was it that stood out beyond her former identity? It was her character. Because look at verse seven. She, she politely asked, may I glean here? Even though we're going to learn later on, she had a right to glean there, but she asked permission. And then notice at the end of verse seven, she came, she has continued from early morning until now, and she only had a short little rest. This girl is not lazy. She's a hard, hard worker. And, and next in verse eight, we're going to see that Boaz approached Ruth and from somewhere, Boaz got more information about Ruth. Maybe it was from this, this employee of his. Maybe it was from someone else in town. But somehow he heard about her faith in Yahweh, her, her sacrificial love for Naomi. And so let's look at that. Look at verse 8. 
Scripture says that Boaz said to Ruth, so he comes and approaches Ruth. He has this information about her, about her, her diligence, about her hard work, about her sacrificial love for Naomi and her love for the Lord. And he said, now listen, my daughter. Now let's stop right there and think about that. Everyone's saying Moabite, Moabite, from Moab, Moabite. And what does he say to her? My daughter. So notice he didn't reject her as a Moabite. She had confessed her faith in Yahweh and he therefore addressed her as one of his spiritual relatives. The kindness here that Boaz is showing. And then he says, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. In other words, go to the good water. Get the Brita water, you know, don't drink the other water. And in verse 10, and then she came and fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Everyone else is reminding me that I'm from Moab. Why have you accepted me? And what's the answer to that question? What's the answer to that question? Now, if we were Americans, we'd say, oh, he thought she was pretty. She's been working the field all day. She's hot. She's, she's sweating like an NBA all-star. You know what I mean? There was something else, actually, that he noticed about her, which, can I just tell you, is actually more important than beauty. And that's her character. That's her virtue. Look at verse 11. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Let me stop right there. I'm actually going to talk about this a little bit next week, but I can't help but comment on that because he noticed how she treated her mother-in-law and that impressed him. And if you're dating in here, okay, or you want to date someday, it's important to notice how that person treats other people. I tell uh, young people who are dating, I tell them, I say that, uh, you know, notice how that person treats their enemies because someday you're going to be that person's enemy, right? Now, everyone maybe gasps and some married people go, really? Come on, if you're married, you know that's true, right? And the question is, when you're married, are you going to love your enemy, <laughs> right? And then make them into your beloved once again. But the point is here, he, he noticed how she treated those other people that were around her. But most importantly, notice also how the scripture goes on to say that he says, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So he, he noticed her commitment to the Lord to forsake her past and to trust the Lord. In verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and give a full reward and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Did you notice Ruth's faith in Yahweh there, in the Lord? And Ruth's own testimony in chapter one was what? That your God is now my God. But from this testimony here, we see faith, the, the, Ruth's faith in the Lord. She, she, in Boaz says that her faith was in the God of Israel. Notice that, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So here, 
Ruth is trusting in God's providence. She's put herself under the blessing of God. So again, what does that mean for Ruth? I'm under God's care. So what should I do? Well, get out there and start working. She gets up early, picked up a bag, went out to a field and worked very hard. And see, for for many people, when they think of God's sovereign rule over this world and his control, they actually tend towards laziness. They say, well, God will take care of me, and they are idle and do nothing. And some Christians actually twist the sovereignty of God to excuse their idleness. They think God's sovereignty means that he will bless them in spite of their laziness. A number of years ago, I remember sitting down with a young man who was in his um, middle part of his life, and he was able-bodied, but basically he had bummed around his whole life didn't um, really try to develop any skills, didn't finish his education, just went from one thing to the next. And at this moment, he wasn't living in the best of conditions. His, his prospects of the future were grim. And he told me, he says, you know, I'm trusting that God is in control. And it's true, God is in control, yet you also wasted the time and opportunities he gave you. Your life is a series of choices, and your choices have consequences. And that's how God has designed this natural world. You have choices to make, and your choices have consequences. And the big lie in our society is that everything will just work out. I think that's the big lie in America. It's like, we can do whatever with our government, spend as much money as we want, we can, and everything's just going to work out in the end. Now, I think some people have different agendas, but the, most people are deceived by that lie. Or, or you can sow your wild oats as a young person. You're, you're not going to reap that later on. That's a lie from Satan right there. You are becoming the person you are going to be, right? I mean, five years from now, if you're 15 years old, five years from now, you will be that person because of the decisions you're making today. And a lot of people think, well, I can wait till then to make those. No, you are making choices and those choices will have consequences and those consequences will make you into who you are are going to be. And we, we can't blame God for the choices we make and therefore the consequences we experience. And I, and I stay on this part right here because I think in American Christianity, a lot of people have a fatalistic view of life. You know, the idea is a guy is unemployed and he's sitting at home and he's watching TV and he thinks, well, I'll, I'll get a job once God provides that for me. Well, maybe go out and look for a job well, I don't really like that kind of job. I think I want something else. I'm going to wait till I get the exact job I really want. Maybe you just go start working somewhere. Or, or I'll find a ministry in the church when I can discover what my gifting is. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm gifted. Maybe you just start serving. Like maybe just say, can I vacuum the church this week? That's, and then discover, maybe you have the gift of vacuuming. <laughs> or I'll go tell the gospel. If God brings someone across my path, why don't you just go out and find people? I mean, we live in... Southern California, there's millions of people literally around here. Or I'll do this or that. When God gives me a sign, you know, oh, I'll throw this fleece out and see what God says to that. And they'll actually step out in faith and trust God. God's sovereignty is not an excuse for the lazy person. Actually, God's sovereignty is a blessing to the one who is diligently, actively trusting God. Because you know that as you move forward by faith, 
that God will direct you where he wants you to go and he will provide for you along the path. So God's sovereignty is actually a comfort to us, but it's really only a comfort, and it should only be a comfort for those who are actively trusting God. In fact, would you do this with me? Would you turn over to 1 Thessalonians? I want to show this to you in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. God has given us the gift of work as a blessing. Paul, the apostle, he worked hard. Sometimes we think about Paul and him going into synagogues and that kind of work, or maybe staying up all night counseling someone. But do you realize Paul actually also made tents? He was a tent maker. And so what we see here in 1 and 2 Thessalonians is Paul kind of juxtaposes his his labor with his hands and his labor in the ministry together. He did both of these things, and he worked really hard. Most people look at Paul's labor here, or about to read, they'd look at this and they'd say, oh, Paul, was, he was overburdened. Like, he should have probably taken a vacation. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9. Paul is recalling to their mind his ministry among them. And particularly, he's talking about his, the work of his hands, but also the ministry of his lips. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So he wasn't a freeloader, right? He was working hard with his hands, but also working hard to proclaim the gospel of God. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. It's the next book over, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. He again highlights this, that he worked hard. 2 Thessalonians 3, 8, the scripture says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Why did Paul highlight this? I mean, he's not bragging here, okay? So why did he highlight his work ethic? Well, he was, he was writing to a church that was experiencing some tremendous laziness. I read, I read a book this past week that said that the most overlooked sins in the church is that of laziness. What is laziness? I was thinking about a definition, so I came up with this definition this past week. What is laziness? Laziness is a lack of effort to do what you ought to do. Laziness is a lack of effort to do what you ought to do. So what ought you to do every morning? Like tomorrow morning. What's tomorrow morning for you? What ought you to do tomorrow morning? And and if if we lack the effort and refuse, therefore, to do that, then what is that? That's called laziness. What ought we to do? in our place of work. I mean, if you're at that desk or you're out there working with your hands, what ought you to do? And if you're scrolling on social media or you're just messing around, then you're being lazy. What ought you to do at at school, whether you're in a a formal school setting or the homeschool room, right? You're supposed to be working, but you decide you're going to do something else because mom's out of the room or the teacher left the room. And if you're not doing what you ought to do, at school, then you are being lazy. What ought you to do in your marriage? Or what ought you to do as parents? What ought we to do on Sundays when we come here on Sundays? You know, what ought we to do amongst each other as God's people? 
And, and if we come to church just to be a spectator and we don't do what we ought to do, then what are we being? We're being lazy. And I think it's good for us to identify laziness in our life as a sin. It's, it's one of those sins in America that we, we don't like to identify, probably because many of us have parts of our life that are lazy, that we're not doing what we ought to do. Partly, I think, because in America, we like to uh, enjoy entertainment, and that's kind of become the god of this country. But we need to identify laziness and confess it to the Lord as sin and repent of that. Again, this, this Thessalonian church here had a problem with, of laziness. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Go back to the end of 1 Thessalonians. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Paul addressed their laziness here. He calls them out on it. And he says, and we urge you, brothers, so these are people in the church, Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, admonish the idle, admonish the lazy. Then go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. It seemed like the problem persisted in the church. I mean, he wrote another letter and actually expanded on laziness. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. So here's a command he gave. So he wrote a letter to them, admonished those who are lazy. He met with them and said, hey, don't be lazy. And now he's giving it again. Here's the command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now notice his instructions were not willing to work. It doesn't say not able to work. It says not willing. You're not motivated to do what you ought to do. That's a big difference there, by the way. And look, look at verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, so some are lazy, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, here's an interesting note. You see, laziness here is not just laying around the house. We think of laziness as the guy that's in his bed all day. You could actually be busy and be a lazy person, right? right? That's what it says. Not busy at work, not doing what you ought to do, but you're busy bodies. In verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what should you do? Do your work quietly. You don't go around and brag about it to everyone, right? You don't need to announce it. Just do your work before the Lord and earn your own living. So here we see laboring for food is a blessing from God. But also look at verse 13. We must work for the kingdom as well. So you see both of these kind of juxtaposed together. Verse 13, and as for you, brothers... Do not grow weary in doing good. So Paul juxtaposes both our work for our physical needs and our work for other spiritual needs in the church. And both are very important. Both are blessings from God. So go back to Ruth chapter two. Let's look at our second point. First, God providentially blesses you through your diligent labor. But secondly, God providentially blesses you. So you will give. So you will give. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Boaz was described as a worthy man. In other texts, this is translated a mighty man of valor. So he was, he was some type of, of chieftain of his tribe, of his family there. But Boaz was even more than that. He was a man of God. He was a man of great faith in Yahweh. We saw that in verse 4 where he said to those men, bless, may God be with you. And they said, May the Lord bless you as well. And look at verse 12. We can see that in his theology and his understanding of who God is. He says of Ruth, 
that he wants the Lord to repay her for what she's done and a full reward be given you by the Lord. So Boaz recognized that Yahweh, the Lord God, is the one who dispenses providential blessing. And think about all those people that were out in that field. Who were those people out there? Of course, many of them were his laborers, right? But there was people like Ruth out there. There were ladies like Ruth. Who were those people? They were widows. They were poor people. So notice his kindness towards his laborers. That's an important point. But also towards those who are less fortunate than him. Why did he show kindness like this to someone like Ruth and some of the other ladies out there? Well, the scripture tells us in Leviticus 19 in Deuteronomy chapter 24 that this was God's instruction. You see, God actually wants people to, to work for their food, but he recognized that some people don't own land. They didn't own these fields. Some people were poor. Some people lost their husbands. Some people were orphans. Some people were foreigners. So God told Israel, listen, when you are blessed by me, when I give you crops and I give you fruit, what you're to do is you're actually to leave the corners of your fields open and you're to allow the foreigner to come and harvest there. You're to allow the widow to come, the poor, and let them take from those areas. And then when you go and you glean and you get your harvest, you can allow some to drop and leave some behind and allow those people, those who are less fortunate, to come and pick that up. And isn't it amazing to think about God's kindness? God's system of Governing is way better than ours, right? I mean, here is their, their poverty program. And that was that for the poor, the widows, the foreigners, they could actually work for their food by gleaning from the corners and picking up after the harvesters. And God did this in kindness to those who were poor, in kindness to the widow. And here Boaz honored God by sharing his blessings of his harvest with those individuals in compassion and kindness. I think of James chapter 1, verse 27, where it speaks of true religion, is pure, undefiled before God. And what is it? It's to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. I think what you see here in Boaz isn't just following the letter of the law. It's actually a man who says, I want to show compassion. God has blessed me, and so I want to bless others as well. Now, as we enter into what people call the holidays, I think it's important for us to remember that there are some in our church who are, some who are widows or widowers, some who are lonely, and it's important for us to consider them and to figure out how we can minister to them. Almost every year, our family tries to go around and visit um, some of the older ladies and men in the church, and uh, we'll sing to them and just spend time with them. This past week, we celebrated Jean Plaster going to be home with the Lord, Dennis Plaster's Mother, it was a beautiful, wonderful, God-honoring service on Friday. And uh, it was interesting to hear her testimony that she was actually saved in this building right here. Isn't that pretty cool to think about when it was Santa Susana Baptist Church? That was quite a while ago. But last year, I can remember going to her house, and uh, we sang to Dennis and to Jean. And, um, and then last year, we also heard her testimony and Actually, some pretty amazing stories about Simi Valley. And I mean, the history that she knew was just uh, amazing. And actually, you know, you go to those kind of things. What you realize is that you're there to bless people, but actually you're receiving more of the blessing. And uh, 
And I think it's good for us to think about those who are widows and those who are by themselves. I know some of you uh, take meals to those who are in the hospital. Some in here, I heard that someone uh, needed some uh, help with pain for the ladies' conference. And so someone offered to help with that. Uh, some of you open your homes and hospitality. Some of you this week are having people to your home for Thanksgiving. And that, that's, that's this heart right here. That's, God has blessed me. So, okay, how can I bless others? How can I give? So look at verse 13. Ruth responded in gratefulness. Verse 13, and she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So she was gleaning in this field, working hard, and all of a sudden it was time for lunch. Of course, she's not invited because she's not a worker, but Boaz sees her and invites her. Look at that in verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, he called to her, come here, eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Now, just think about that. How grateful do you think a poor lady like Ruth would have been? I mean, here's a person who lives in an impoverished society. I mean, they're having one, maybe two meals a day, and she's probably not even having that. And here's a man coming and saying, listen, sit down and eat. Eat until you're full. Isn't it amazing how God's covenant love took care of Ruth? And so what does it say in verse 14? So she sat down beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied. Can you imagine that? How hungry she was. She ate until she was satisfied. But then what did she do? And she had some left over. We could probably have another like rabbit trail of gluttony here. (laughs) Because here's a person who's poor and they don't shove it all down their face, right? She leaves some left over. Of course, she brought some home to her mother-in-law, and that's why she did that. But verse 15, and when she rose to glean, so again, she's not lazy. I mean, she's, been enter- she's entered into a place of privilege, into a, a place of, of favor, but yet she goes, okay, I'm, I'm going back to work. I got to go back to work. Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. So his graciousness just keeps overflowing here. And then so does her diligence, because look at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out, I mean, she's in the hot sun all day long, bending over, picking this up. And then she goes and she beats out what she gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah was about 28 pounds. So now she's carrying a bag or bags back to her mother-in-law, about 28 pounds. Isn't that amazing to think about? So there's a woman who definitely was a diligent worker. If you remember a few weeks ago, I introduced the book of Ruth by saying that they would read this at the festival of weeks, which was a time to celebrate that God had blessed Israel. Remember, they would take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem They would take the first fruits of their barley harvest and they would wave it before the Lord and say, this is from you, God, you have blessed us. And then they would give it to the Lord. They give it back at the temple. And and they did that in worship to God. And they were also to give to others around them in compassion. And I mean, just like take a a second to to consider this because I think when you read a text like this, 
the Jewish people saw this and they saw this as a time to give back to the Lord. God providentially blesses us. And so how do we respond? Well, first we should respond with thankfulness. Like the song we sang, my heart is filled with thankfulness. Thankfulness for what God has done for me, what he's given to me. And I believe it's biblical to set aside the best and first of our income for the Lord. I think you need to go through the Old Testament and follow all of the, the tithes and offerings. I think if you do, you're going to be giving like 30, 40% of your offering anyway. So um, it's a lot more than what people think it is. But the, the scripture does tell us to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And so when, we, when, we, when God blesses us, our first thought should be, okay, Lord, how can I worship you and give to you who has given so much to me? And then second, I think we should consider why God has actually given us that job in the first place. Because he's given us that provision so we will bless other people. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with any who have need. So when is a thief not a thief anymore? That's right, when he's sharing what God has given to him. Do you share what God's given to you? And if we don't, then we are like that thief. What's the reason God has blessed us with work? What, if I were to ask the average American, why has God given you a job? What do you think most people would say? Oh, toys, right? Vacations, houses, lands. But actually, he's given it to you so that you will share And so last, let's look at God providentially blessing us for the purpose of us praising him. God providentially blesses you so you will praise him. Look at verse 18. And she took it up, this is Ruth, and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So there she's given her doggy bag to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? I mean, she's shocked, right? Wow, this is amazing, 28 pounds, this is crazy. And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Remember you, oh, and she, and I'm sorry, wrong verse. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked and said, the man name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Remember, we, we know more about the situation than these ladies know here, right? Naomi only knew that Ruth had been very industrious. Ruth did not know that Boaz was her relative. And so here she says, it's Boaz and the light switches on for Naomi. <gasps> Whoa, this is amazing. What? God is providentially blessing. This is an opportunity. Look at verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. Then she switches to speak about the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so immediately Naomi recognizes that this is a divine appointment. God is providentially blessing them. And this is an opportunity, not just to get food, but she saw Boaz as one of her redeemers. It's the possibility that, that Ruth could get with Boaz, they could get married, and 
they could be redeemed. Look at verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Now, just, I got to say this because someone's going to ask me afterwards. Did you notice that Ruth didn't get it quite right here? Boaz said, keep near to my women. And what did she say here? She says, keep near to his young men. Now, why is, the, why is that like that? Well, it might be that Ruth misunderstood the custom. Or maybe she was hoping one of the young men would like her. So maybe she was thinking, Nick, tomorrow I think I'm going to go with the young men. Maybe one of them will like me. Maybe, you know, I can get married. That's an option. But Naomi corrected that and directed her to stay with the young women. This was the safest spot for her. But also I think Naomi has her eyes on the bigger catch. (laughs) Boaz. Look at verse 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this Um, go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. And so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now go back to verse 20, and let me end with this. Naomi praised God for his blessings and his hesed love. Look at verse 20. May he be blessed of the Lord, and she speaks of the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Remember we said kindness is the word hesed. Hesed, it's, it's his covenant love. And it's like this switch flips on for Naomi. And this is the first time that Naomi has applied God's blessing, God's providence to her life. This is the first time I should say God's, uh, that she's applied God's blessing to her life. She's applied God's providence before, but this is the first time she's applied the blessing of God to her life. And what she's seen here is that God is at work and actually God will take care of her. And so she's praising God for his, his providential blessing. And I think it's always important for us to consider the blessings of God. You know, you hold, remember the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one? Right? I, I think it's good for us to do that. I mean, yes, we should look around and if I were to say, you know, what are some of the blessings in our life? our children, our grandchildren, our houses. And it is good to recognize that. But, but brothers and sisters in Christ, we have far better blessings than that. We have a savior. We have a redeemer. We have a home in heaven. Like, yeah, I got a home. Yeah, I got a home. But I got a home in heaven. Like, I got an eternal inheritance. Yeah, I have children, but I am the child of God. And so may we recount the blessings that God has given to us. And, and recognize, that God, recognize that God blesses us through diligent labor. So maybe we should ask ourselves a couple of questions. Are we laboring with diligence? You're like, well, I'm retired. Okay, are you laboring for the Lord with diligence? Are we being lazy? Do we have an incorrect view of work? Are we, are we receiving work as a gift from God? And also, are you are you taking the blessings that God has given to you, and are you blessing other people? Are are we taking what God has given to us and giving back to him? Are we taking what God has given to us in in love and compassion, giving to others? And also, are we responding with thankfulness to God? Let's pray.